Alhamdulillahi wa kafa. Wassalamu ala ibadihi alladhina astafa. Amma ba'd. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Walladhina jahadu fina lanahdiyannahum subulana. سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم The nature of life is that at times each of us will find ourselves in a difficulty and that is unavoidable. It's just the nature of how the world and our lives have been designed. And we don't get to control every variable. And of course, the world is a test. And because of that, we cannot avoid the fact that there will be circumstances in each of our lives uh, which will be very trying and very challenging. And not only is that the case with each of our lives, but even collectively as a community, and the nature of every community is that there will be circumstances that will be celebratory and there will be other circumstances that will be extremely challenging. Whenever we look upon our lives and we find ourselves in such difficult circumstances, whether that's individually or whether that's collectively, it's so important to remember where our shelters lie. When there's a tornado warning, part of the response of people is to know where their shelter lies. For example, you'll see even in like a second, third grade classroom. They have these tornado drills or adverse event drills. And in these drills, they teach the children, where can you find shelter? In fact, if you even go to any school, they'll have, it'll be posted. This is a shelter for this, this is a shelter for that. So you'll see that in these challenging times where there might be some sort of like uh, adverse weather event, even then we train our children that there is a shelter and that they should seek that shelter and that it's in the context of that shelter that they'll be the most safe. So too is the case with our lives. And subhanAllah, the great blessing that we have been given is that our deen, it also teaches us where the shelters lie. And among those places where we can find shelter, 
is the Holy Qur'an. I think that's something that uh, we should never forget. The Qur'an is a stable ground for us when the entire surroundings are quaking. The Qur'an is a shelter for us when there seems to be no place else to turn. In the entire world and all of its mundane nature, the Qur'an is the miracle of our deen. All of you know that every messenger was sent with a miracle. Every messenger was sent with a miracle, and the purpose of those miracles was to create a circumstance in which the community surrounding them could ascertain that this person was a messenger. But in the case of the Prophet the messenger, uh, the miracle was the revelation. And this miracle is with us all the way until this day. It is the only case of all the messengers, it is the only case in which the miracle went beyond the life of that particular messenger. So the Qur'an, its stability in a time of turmoil, the Qur'an is a miracle in the face of the mundane, the Qur'an is light when everything else may look dark, the Qur'an elevates when we might apparently be falling, the Qur'an is certainty when doubt exists everywhere around us. It has to be remembered that this is our shelter. doesn't mean it's the only shelter, but, it mean, but it's a reminder that this is the essential shelter. It's a place where we can hide and be absolutely comfortable that we can let our guard down and let its message raise and enlighten us. You know, you consume the message of anyone today. doesn't matter where that message is coming from. You consume the message of anyone today. It's confusing. Like, what's the message? Is the message valid? Is the messenger valid? Is the messenger someone I can trust? Will this message actually raise me or lower me? Will I be elevated or will I be debased? There's so many questions that arise when we engage with any other source. But with the Qur'an, we can be absolutely sure of the source of the message because it's Allah through His Blessed Messenger, وسلم, we can be absolutely sure that this message is uh, for our sake and our goodness alone. We can absolutely be sure in the veracity of the message. So there's so many guards that we can let down in the context of the Qur'an. And all of us in this room, I don't know how many times I've emphasized this, but it, I can continue to say this until I turn blue in the face. Every single one of us in this room has to have an engagement with the Qur'an and has to be on a journey in which we seek to embed the Qur'an in our lives. There's no other way in which we can become the community that we hope to be and live up to the ideals and standards of the people that came before us. It has to be through the Qur'an. 
Now, in that context, the first thing to appreciate is just the opportunity of the Qur'an that sits before us. Like, this is the first thing that every one of us in this room needs to appreciate. And this opportunity, maybe I can just share a few simple statements of the Prophet ﷺ. Again, just off the top of my head, because I'm not sitting here with a screen and a prepared transcript. Just off the top of my head, just to remind all of us of just what position this Qur'an has to hold in our hearts and minds and how we need to seek shelter under its guidance, its mercy, its light, its miraculous nature. So the first is that the Messenger them in an effort to highlight to us the special opportunity of the Qur'an. Now, the Prophet is making a statement in this case. I haven't given you the statement. You've all heard it, just to lay the background. The Prophet is making a statement, and this purpose, the purpose of the statement is for everyone in this room to appreciate the unique opportunity that the Qur'an provides for us and the focus and attention that we should be giving to the Qur'an, the position that we should hold the Qur'an in in our lives. And he mentions that the superiority of the word of Allah, I'm just translating it, it's in Tirmidhi, you can look it up, the superiority of the word of Allah over all other words. Again, the superiority in the, in, the, in the hadith, the word is fadl, but I'm here translating that as superiority. The superiority of the Qur'an over all other words is like the superiority of Allah ala khalqi, over his creation. Listen again, this is such a valuable statement. You, could, this is gold, you can write this in gold. The superiority of the word of Allah over all other words is like the superiority of Allah over all his creation. Now, take that statement and work backwards for a second. All of us in this room know that there is absolutely nothing in all of creation that can ever be compared to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's nothing in creation that can ever be compared to Allah. In fact, everything in creation is outside of the realm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the sense of, just as an example, uh, everything in creation has to eat, has to drink, uh, reproduces, needs sleep. And we're just talking about the living things for a moment because they're the most complex of creation. Everything in creation you'll find needs to eat, needs to drink, needs to sleep, needs to rest, uh, reproduces, is either produced or reproduces. All of this that we find within creation, none of these characteristics can ever be attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. None, not one. And we encapsulate that reality by saying, La ilaha illallah. That there is nothing that we worship that is worthy of being worshipped except Allah. Meaning, you find that in this statement, La ilaha illallah, which captures this reality of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relative to everything created, we find first we negate everything. We completely erase the board. La ilaha, there is nothing worthy of worship. 
The whole statement begins with an absolute negation. Anything that anybody comes in their mind, anything that you're going to bring in your mind and come to the table with, we're negating it. We're erasing it. We're deleting it. We're reformatting it. La ilaha. And then in the context of that reformat, we then establish one single line of code in Allah. There's nothing except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning there's nothing worthy of worship, there's nothing that we can turn to, there's nothing that we will pray to, there's nothing that we'll put our hopes in, there's nothing where we'll play, there's no place we'll put our aspirations except with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the, that's the foundation of this statement of the Prophet ﷺ. We're being first told that, you know, this concept that you have in your mind of the superiority over, of, of Allah over all of his creation, it's not even, you wouldn't even dare compute. It's not possible. So take that same premise and now use it to understand the Qur'an, which is that the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is... It, 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 the, that superiority that you've already established in your mind can be transferred to the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is superior to every single other type of word. So this is the attitude that the believer has to have in regards to the word of Allah. And we can ask ourselves the question, like, hey, I'm out there, I'm turning my attention to so many words, I'm inviting so many words into my world, I'm engaging with so many words in so many different ways, where have I placed that interaction, and how does that interaction compare with my interaction with the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Now, again, nobody's saying here that you're not going to be able to engage with other words. Just like you would never say, I'm never going to engage with anything in creation. Yeah, you get married, you have children, you have neighbors, you have responsibilities at work. You do engage with creation. But in your mind, it's totally clear. This is creation, and, and, and then there is something outside of this creation, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning there is something beyond creation, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's where the ultimate reality lies. So the same attitude needs to be applied to every single engagement that we have with word in our lives. And essentially, life is just an engagement with words. You come to me, I say a few words, you give me a few words. I hand you a piece of paper, you read a few words. You react based on those words. I send you a text, you send me a text, we're exchanging words. So much of what we do is essentially just words. But we always have to remember where those words lie vis-a-vis the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is that those words, they have their relevance, but they're nothing compared to the word of Allah. And we have to live our lives accordingly. Now, what happens in our day, to remind us of this, in particular of the nature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala vis-a-vis the creation in which we're engaging in, the world in which we engage in, the dunya, the lower world, what happens is that along the way, every so often, we're forced to pause. So I'm, I'm, I'm walking around, I'm engaging with people, I'm engaging with creation, uh, I'm, I'm walking th- along and all of a sudden, dhuhr comes. I'm forced to pause. I have to turn. I have to reset. I have to remind myself, Allahu Akbar. Allah is greater than all of this. This is just this, this, this virtual reality that I'm trapped in. There's a reality beyond it, la ilaha illallah. There's a truth beyond it, la ilaha illallah. And I'm forced to pause. And then a few hours go by, and I'm forced to pause. I hear the adhan. Uh, ideally, I hear the adhan, but even if I don't hear the adhan, 
I know it's time for prayer. I have to pause. I have to reset. I refocus myself, and I reestablish this reality in my life through prayer. And that same type of interaction has to occur in our engagement with the Quran. But we're not going to talk about that this week. We're going to talk about that next week. At this point, we just need to make it very clear that there is one position. You know, in life, you hold spots for things, right? You, you know, this chair is reserved. This table is reserved, right? There's one reserved position for us in our minds. And that is that this reserved position where I put my highest hopes and recognize that this is my ultimate um, guidance and that this is my source of light and that this is my source of stability, this is my source of peace and serenity, this is where I'm going to find uh, without any doubt guidance and no doubt within it. That's the Quran and nothing else. Now, we can ask the question beyond that, once I've established that reality, then how am I, am I living according to it? That's a separate conversation. The first point is to just appreciate the circumstance of the Qur'an, the reality of the Qur'an itself. So this is one example. In another narration, uh, the Prophet ﷺ, as I've already shared with you, but it's worth repeating, the, the Prophet ﷺ, again paraphrasing, mentioned that there was no messenger that was ever sent, there was no messenger that was ever sent except that they were given a miracle by which the people would recognize that this is a person carrying a message from Allah. There was no messenger that was ever sent, except that they were given a miracle, by which their people could recognize that this individual was uniquely carrying a message from Allah. And then the Prophet continues and says, and my miracle is revelation, which, which has been sent upon me, which has been bestowed to me, which I have been given. So here again, we're being told a very, very special feature of our deen, which is, look, you wish you could have seen the staff of Musa, you wish you could have seen um, one of the miracles of the prior prophets, know that your miracle, the miracle of this deen, one of the miracles of this deen, one of the miracles of the Prophet is here with you. And then, by the way, at the end of that narration, the Prophet he makes a very interesting statement. He says, so I hope so I, so, I, so I expect, so I hope that you will be amongst the largest communities on the final day. Now, what does that mean? It means that the core of the community is predicated upon the Quran. It's the miracle of this deen. When a person internalizes it, that miracle comes to life. And when they begin to embed its light within them, they experience its miraculous nature. When they devote themselves to it, they experience its miraculous nature. When they allow it to speak to them, not, they're not telling it what they want. They're letting it speak to them. They experience its miraculous nature. It's like the staff of Musa, It's like all of the miracles that were given to the prior messengers before, except it's here. It's like available for us. And everyone in this room has the opportunity to embed themselves within it. So, again, we're being reminded, in an, from, from another angle, we're being reminded of an opportunity that is present for us at every moment. In another narration, which everyone in this room has, of course, heard, it's some, one that we teach our, our children at the youngest ages, the best of you, the best of you are those who learn the Qur'an and teach it. The best of you are those who learn the Qur'an and teach it. Now, here, again, what are, being re what are we being reminded of? 
we're being reminded that you have lots of options in the world. And you choose those options, and often you choose those options because they help to elevate you, raise you, make you something unique. Hey, I find that I you know, enjoy basketball. I, I, maybe I could join the, you know, be in the NBA one day. So I'm practicing, practicing, practicing. Or maybe I can become a, uh, I don't know, a businessman one day. So I go and study and work hard. And w- we choose these different avenues by which we can elevate and raise ourselves. But here we're being reminded that the ultimate way by which a person can be raised is to engage the Quran in such a way that they internalize it and then reflect it as a teacher. Now, notice, to be a teacher of something, you first have to internalize that thing yourself. You can't go around teaching something without having mastered it first. You can't go around teaching something without having become an example and representative of it first. So the truest teacher is not the one who's reading to you from a note. The truest teacher is the one that's speaking from their heart. So the best of you are those who internalize this Qur'an and make it such that it becomes a reflection from you and you begin to emanate it and teach it. Now, there's lots of ways to teach it. Of course, the obvious way is that you learn how to recite it, you teach its recitation. You learn how to live it, you teach how to live by it. You learn its message, you spread its message. So there's lots of ways that we can engage in teaching it, but the point still remains, which is that this very, very special status is given to the Qur'an. Now, by the way, there's, you know, scholars have compiled books or books and books of uh, the fadail of the Qur'an, the uniqueness of the Qur'an, the special merits of the, we should say this, the special merits of the Qur'an. And we could keep going on and on and on, but how many, how many, how many things do we have to hear before it, it penetrates, you know, by the way, this first statement was sufficient. The first statement was sufficient. Each of the, each of the sub, subsequent statements is just a reminder of that from a different dimension, from a different angle. So all of us in this room have to appreciate that this Qur'an is the very, it is one of the very, very unique opportunities that we've been given. And this world is a passing, passing place. Like I said, there's going to be ups and downs. In our individual personal lives, there's going to be ups and downs. As a community, there's going to be ups and downs. But we should always remember that the Qur'an is always up. It's always an opportunity to elevate ourselves. It's always an opportunity to reset ourselves. In any circumstance, if we find confusion, we we can find the answer in the Qur'an. At any place, if we find darkness, we can enlighten ourselves with the Qur'an and the world around us, by the way. At any time, if we find chaos, we can, there is serenity in this Qur'an. And it should be that we have an understanding of this unique and very special opportunity that sits before us. That's kind of step one. And then step two is to create a, a regular metered interaction by which we can maximize on that opportunity because it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. What I mean by that is that the, there are two, there's actually three major things, there's actually three or four. We'll talk about these over the next few, few, few sessions. Maybe, well, let me give you one example. Let me just uh, say one more thing here. When the, the scholars, they mention that uh, the revelation of the Quran occurred in two phases. 
the scholars, they mentioned that the revelation of the Qur'an occurred in two phases. One phase was the revelation of the Qur'an from the preserved tablet to the lowest heaven. One phase was the revelation of the Qur'an from the preserved tablet to the lowest heaven. So essentially what you can think of, the way you think about this is that it was as if the Qur'an was in a vault, in a preserved tablet, in a vault. It was a gem waiting to be delivered, and the entire package got delivered to its one step before its final destination. And what do you call that? It's not the last mile, it's the, what are, the first mile, right? So this Qur'an, what the, the, the preserved tablet, uh, it was in this preserved tablet, the whole Qur'an was revealed in one night. It was downloaded, you can say that, it was downloaded to the lowest heaven. That opened the gem of the vault. That opened the vault so that the gem could be exposed. And then from there, the Qur'an was revealed over a 23-year period in short bursts to the Prophet's heart for all of the community to be able to engage with. Right? So the, the scholars are essentially highlighting that there were two phases. I'm just using the word phases. It's arbitrary use of word here. There's two phases to the revelation of the Qur'an. Phase one, the opening of the vault and the downloading of the Qur'an to the lowest heaven. And phase two, from the lowest heaven, the last mile delivery, which occurred over 23 years, where pieces or fragments or verses of the Qur'an are slowly being revealed to the heart of the Prophet vis-a-vis -vis the Sahaba and the context of the deen. Right? It's coming to the heart of the Prophet through, through him to the Sahaba and then eventually through the Sahaba to us. So in the same way, you can see these two phases. Now spiritually they say, just first establishing a principle, now the spiritual reality of that is that the scholars of, the masters of spiritual sciences say that the interaction with the Qur'an needs to follow these two phases. Phase one, every, you recognize the, 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 the superior nature of the Qur'an and create a a special space in your heart and mind for it. You download that Qur'an, you, you, you allow the reality of that Qur'an to come into your life to appreciate that there is nothing else that can match it. There's nothing else that can even come close to matching it. That there actually is no competition. That there is no discussion. That the Qur'an is the Qur'an and everything else is, it, it can't be compared. So that's phase one. Right? The same way that this phase, this phase occurred, that's phase one. And phase two is, just as the Qur'an was piecemeal revealed, verse by verse by verse in collections, to the heart of the Prophet in the same way, we have to have a piecemeal engagement with the Qur'an over an extended period of time. It's not about getting excited and going home and reading it for one night. And it's certainly not, not about leaving it on our bookshelves. It's about consistently asking the question that I'm on this journey with the Qur'an, how can I take the next step? Everybody will differ. For some, it'll be learning how to pronounce the letters properly, and that's fine. There's no problem where, where anybody is in their journey. The problem is when we don't take the journey. So it might be that I'm at this phase where I'm just learning how to identify the letters. Okay, no problem, because there's a huge reward associated with that. The reward lies on understanding the value of the Qur'an and taking the journey. It doesn't matter where you are 
What's more important, it matters where you are, but what's as important is the fact that you're on this trail. So everyone in this room has to ask the hard question. Like, okay, here's the Quran, here's me, how can I approach it? All right, where is my recitation of the letters? Can I pronounce the letters properly? Or do I even know what the letters are? It, whatever, wherever I might be, I need to then seek out an avenue by which I can advance. Now look, I, I'm going to talk about this. I don't want to jump into next week's topic. But, but everyone in this room, when they find that there's something important that they need to achieve, they figure out a way to get it done. Everyone in this room, mashallah, is successful, has achieved something, has skills. Everyone in this room has a unique, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a uniqueness that they bring to, to any gathering. We're, we're, everybody does. I don't have a doubt about that. I'm sure about that. Maybe some of you haven't yet discovered what your uniqueness is, but everybody has something in them. And we figure out how to maximize on that and how to take advantage of these opportunities, and we make these piecemeal steps towards things and goals and aspirations and hopes, and eventually you go through life and you get married and you have kids and you have a house, and, you, and, and you, when you look back at that life, you, you'll see how much you were able to achieve because you took this slow journey over 40, 50, 60 years. And honestly, I know it feels like when you're in the middle of it, it feels like not much is going on. But if you actually look back and you see all that you were able to achieve, it's actually fairly mind-boggling. So the Qur'an, that engagement has to be continuous and we have to appreciate it as a special opportunity and as, an, in fact, I would argue, a need in our lives. So again, is that where, where am I in my journey? Is it learning the letters? Is it learning to pronounce the letters? Is it learning to put the letters together? Is it learning the rules of tajweed? Is it in, in creating a regular engagement with the verses? Is it um, memorizing some verses here and there? Is it understanding some of the meanings that are present in the verses? That's a, that's a journey. But all of us have to appreciate that that's where our opportunity lies. So that's the message for today. A very simple message, which is that at times of chaos, the Qur'an is serenity. At times of confusion, the Qur'an is the ultimate abode of guidance. At times of doubt, the Qur'an is certainty. At times of emptiness, the Qur'an is filling. At times of darkness, the Qur'an is light. And we can go on and on. The Qur'an is, the, is an opportunity, and when we find that we need shelter, the Qur'an can provide it. And we should ask ourselves the hard question of where we are in our relationship with the Qur'an, and the first step in that, the first step in that is have I elevated the Qur'an to its appropriate position in my life? Have I appreciated, have I created a reserved spot in my heart a reserved spot in my mind, a reserved spot in my schedule, and said, this is for the Qur'an. And there will be nothing that will be able to take that spot from me. I mean, this is my devoted time. And again, like I'm not, I'm not saying here that everybody has to drop, nobody, I'm not even saying this to anyone in this room, that you need to drop everything and now uh, pursue the Qur'an. That's not actually the intent. The intent is to consistently engage with the Qur'an over a long period of time. And I've told this, uh, I've mentioned this before, and I can repeat this over and over again, honestly, just 20 minutes a day. Just, just to appreciate, the, if, if, just appreciate where the Quran lies, which is step one, 
and then make an intention to give it 20 minutes a day. And even in 20 minutes a day, uh, number one, it'd be, it, becomes, uh, it becomes an indispensable part of a person's life. Uh, and number two, it opens realities that nothing else can provide. Okay, we'll stop there. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be able to appreciate the very, very unique and miraculous nature of the Holy Qur'an. May he allow us to be able to appreciate its reality and its opportunity. And may he make us amongst those who are able to embed this reality and opportunity in our hearts. Wa akhiru ta'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.